feels like we're more divided as a country now more than ever. I don't have any real proof of this, uh, that it's true, but it does feel that way. It feels like we're all kind of stuck in our own echo chambers, where we like to hear our own opinions and our own views reinforced. We are stuck seeing the world in a way that kind of makes us comfortable, in a way that kind of affirms our own beliefs and views. But that's not how we grow, is it? Things grow more through healthy change. If a plant was always stuck in a dark room, it would not thrive. But if a plant only stayed in the sun without reprieve, it would break. It would bake. Healthy change cultivates growth. And who doesn't want to grow? I was talking with some people from NCKC at our weekly office hours at Cinderbrook Brewery a couple of weeks ago. And I was bemoaning my experience in the church and how we always tend to read books that reinforce our views or our perspective on things. We rarely challenge ourselves to engage in a new experience or a new perspective. I decided, well, it, for the lack of sounding corny, to be the change that I wanted to see. I decided for the month of February, for Black History Month, I was going to only read black authors. I picked up James Cone's The Cross and the Lynching Tree, in a sci-fi fantasy book at the recommendation of a friend called The Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. I want to be open to cultivating some healthy change in my life. Today's scripture lands us in the middle of a shift, or as we had discussed in our previous sermons, a reorientation, but this time a social decorum of law and how we're called to live. An expansion of our perspective, and I begin that it is a, I begin to believe that it is a sledgehammer to the wall of an echo chamber that the Pharisees were living in. And that first swing is a simple invitation. So we start with the invitation of Jesus to Levi. So Jesus is fresh out of Capernaum, and he's been making his way through Galilee, healing and teaching. People see him now as a rabbi who has some special abilities, and people are wanting to follow someone like that because there's a great amount of both honor and prestige to follow someone who is perceived to be so close to God. And that is something to be said about the company you keep, right? Something that our parents told us, something that we've been, that we probably thought about on our own once or twice. What do the people around us say about us? Because the people who you surround yourself with does say something about you. If you want to seem important, you surround yourself with important people. If you want to seem powerful, you surround yourself with powerful people. And this was no different for the time of Jesus. If you wanted to seem holy, you surround yourself with holy people. And this is why the calling of Levi is so important. Levi, well, Levi was not a guy that a Jewish man would want to be associated with. Jesus, uh, Levi, I'm sorry, was a tax collector. And tax collector, probably similar today, was not someone you like to be around. Tax collectors were often associated with being deceitful, taking more than the government share for themselves. And also, let's be honest, no one liked paying taxes. Jesus sees Levi and invites him to come and follow him. And so much that Jesus actually goes to Levi's house for dinner. And that is a big deal. Having a rabbi come to your house would have been a great honor. And with Jesus being as famous as he was getting, this was a very big deal. But it seems that the people that show up for this dinner are, well, the less desirables. The ones we probably wouldn't want to be showing up at our own dinner parties. A bunch of tax collectors and general sinners. 
if the company you keep says something about you, then, well, this is not the company you'd want to be associated with, especially if you wanted to be regarded as a respectful rabbi. And the Pharisees noted this and make a comment about this to the people around them, and kind of rightfully so. This is not your normal social decorum. And in fact, you have to remember the context that Jesus was living in. In temple purity culture, if you were to touch people like these, if they were to touch you, you had to spend time outside of the temple to be cleansed before you could enter temple again. You, were, you could not offer your sacrifices because you were unclean. So you were told to avoid people like this because it would hinder your ability to go to temple. And you can see this emerge a lot of the interpretations of the Old Testament law because it seems like the Old Testament law has this dual intent. It's not only about avoiding things uh, because God had commanded it, but also you avoided things to keep you healthy. You weren't supposed to eat hooved creatures because, well, they often carry disease. The same with selfish. You weren't supposed to be around these, well, less desirable people because, well, they might lead you away from God. And what is Jesus' response? It is this reorientation of the intent of the Old Testament law, the, the law that kept these people apart. It is not the healthy that need a doctor, but it is the sick. The law was not meant to keep us away from each other, but rather instructions on how to keep us well enough to go seek the other. I'm going to say that again because that's a, a very powerful statement, and this is what Jesus is getting at. The law was never meant to keep us away from the other, but rather instructions on how to keep us well enough to go seek the other. The Pharisees kept their echo chamber around them, telling what the law was meant to keep them safe behind their structures and their interpretation of law. And Jesus swings that hammer and tells them the intent was to keep them healthy so that they could go find the sick. I feel like this can be an echo chamber that we as the church get often caught up in. We get so caught up in using the law to keep people out instead of using the law to set us free so we can go find those who need Christ. I'm going to say that again, so it can hit up against that at wall of the echo chamber that we might find ourselves in. We get so caught up in using law to keep people out, instead of letting that law free us to go find those who need Christ. Because the law was not meant to keep us healthy, just healthy. It was also meant to keep us, make us strong enough to go find those who are sick. And now the Gospel of Mark will kind of shift into this interesting section that kind of happens throughout the Gospel of Mark, where there's an overarching theme that kind of happens, and the scriptures, stories tend to speak to that theme. There, it's like a common, thread, a common thread of ideas that is addressed through different vignettes. And it starts in this next part, Jesus is questioned about fasting. The Pharisees and the disciples of John uh, the Baptist fast like they're supposed to. And it seems like the disciples of Jesus are not doing that. And Jesus' response is a very interesting response. Because remember, up until this point, there's this messianic secret that we've been talking about. That Jesus has been kind of hiding his identity. And Jesus now responds in a way that expresses a tiny bit of his divine plan here on earth. It's a little bit of a foreshadowing of the things to come. Jesus says, the people will not fast while the groom is present and with them. But there will come a time where Jesus will not be with them, and they will have to fast. 
Jesus, once again, trying to reorient the law. The law would require the Pharisees and the disciples of John to fast on the Sabbath. And what Jesus is challenging them is that they are blindly following the law without recognizing the Messiah, the Christ, that is right in front of them. The thing that the law points to, the end that the law points to, they have forgotten and made the law an end in itself. The laws were once again meant to prepare us to live in the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God is here, the law prepares us to continually open our eyes to see what is in front of us. But they did not realize it because they were too busy following the law. This is another echo chamber that sometimes we as a church find ourselves in. We turn our spiritual disciplines into, well, a God in themselves instead of leading us towards God. Sometimes we want people to tell us to just keep doing something because the doing something becomes a something that we can see because God is so hard for us to see. We spend our time looking into the discipline and not looking at the God in front of us. Sometimes we want people or voices We want our echo chambers to reinforce us, to keep telling us just to do this thing instead of truly seeking what God has for us. And then Jesus moves into something that needs a little bit of explanation, and that is wineskins. And what is a wineskin? Obviously, we don't really use wineskins anymore. You can't go to the store and buy wine in a wineskin, though that might be a new idea in marketing way. Our wine now comes in bottles, and if you're a really high-class individual, a box. But back in the time of Jesus, your wine would either come in a clay jar or in an animal skin that was sewn together in such a way to make it a bag. You can think of the bags of milk that our friends in Canada use, but instead of plastic, it was goat skin, and instead of milk, it was wine. Now, as you know, wine is wet, and the skin would begin to absorb the liquid over time, causing the wine skin to shrink. As Jesus says in the beginning, you wouldn't patch a piece of clothing with an unshrunk cloth because when the cloth does shrink, it will tear at the seams. You would not put new wine in old wineskins because the old wineskin had already absorbed wine and the new wine would cause it to burst. But what does this mean? For us, what is Jesus saying this story for, this uh, example for? Well, let's look at the context. At this point, Jesus has offered two different reinterpretations of the law or reorientations of the law that the Pharisees had been following. The first reorientation of the intentional law to keep people out into a law that freed people to go out. And the second reorientation of the law kept people, uh, that kept people following while forgetting the intention of what they were following. It seems that Jesus is saying that it would be easier to train disciples than it would have been to train the Pharisees. The disciples are not already caught up in their own echo chambers. They are the new wine skins, waiting for the same law that is the wine that the Pharisees were taught. But this time, they'll be actually be able to retain the law because they are the new wine skins. But the Pharisees, being the old wine skins, could not receive the new wine because they're so absorbed with the old wine. And I think that for us, we need to begin to start thinking about how we have become old wineskins at times. We need to think about how our tradition, histories, and yes, even maybe our doctrine might be blocking or clouding our view from what Christ is doing in front of us. How we are sometimes looking for more of the old wine because it's the wine we knew versus being able to see the new wine in front of us. Now, listen to me, church. I am not advocating throwing out our tradition, history, 
and doctrine. We cannot blow out the foundations of the church that God has built here for us. And if we want to have growth, if we really want to have growth, we need these foundations because we need something to grow from. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we are seeking God and not just seeking what makes us comfortable. I want to say that again for the people in the back. We need to make sure that we are seeking God and not just what makes us comfortable. Not just doing what we've told because that's all we know. This new interpretation of the law that Christ is offering is not new law. Rather, it's just new interpretation of a law that has always remained. We see this in the scriptures as we continue to get into the intention of Sabbath versus the intention or interpretation of what Sabbath has been. So, the next story, the disciples are walking through a wheat field and they are eating grains from the head of wheat as they walk through the field. Uh, and since they are smashing the wheat in their he- the wheat heads in their hands to reveal the grains so that they can eat them, they're technically working on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees called them out that once again the disciples of Jesus are not respecting the laws of the time, of the Jewish law at the time. And Jesus once again challenges their interpretation of the law by quoting the Old Testament back to them. Jesus brings up the story of David that when he was hungry and stranded, he broke the law by eating the bread that was only consecrated for the priest. It was not bread that anyone was supposed to eat, only priest. And yet David ate it when he was in a position of need. And not only David, but he gave it to his armies as well. The Pharisees really couldn't refute this story because it's a part of their holy tradition. The great King David broke the law because the situation presented itself that if he did not, he would have starved. Showing once again the intentional law was different than the way the Pharisees had interpreted it. As Jesus goes on to famously say, the Sabbath was created for man and not man for the Sabbath, which again is a reorientation of a commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. Sabbath is a reminder that we need to rest, but it's not meant to be something that we put into the place of starvation. It is not a law that was meant to burden us but rather a law, once again, a law that was meant to free us. This reorientation of the law is the thread that we've been talking, what I talked about when we said there's a thread that's coming through these scriptures. This thread is the true interpretation of law or the reorientation of intention, or as Jesus said in the very beginning of his ministry, the kingdom of God is here. This is a revelation of the kingdom of God, the true intention that had always been here. The law was created for man, not man for the law. And this point is almost crescendoed in this next passage because, once again, they are asked about Sabbath and Sabbath law. A man comes in who needs healing because he has a crippled hand. The Pharisees, who at this point are getting tired of how Jesus is tearing down their echo chamber and are once again trying to challenge Jesus' interpretation of scriptures. Jesus, knowing what is happening, asks the man to step up forward and ask this poignant question. Is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? There's an obvious answer to this question, and that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. The intent of law isn't to interpret what is good or what is bad, but rather what is good or bad is the intent of the law. Sabbath should not limit us for doing what is good because its intent was to limit us from doing what was bad. The Sabbath wasn't intended from stop doing anything. Sabbath was not a reason to be lazy or apathetic. Rather, Sabbath was intended for us to understand that we are dependent upon God alone and rest in God alone, not to limit ourselves from God. 
And so Jesus heals this man because Jesus is making a point that Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for us to rest in God and not to limit ourselves from doing what God has called us to do. We seek to do good always because the law of God was not created us from limiting us from doing the goodness that God has called us to do. And that is the point, the thread that, that, that is being pulled through these stories. The good that God has intended the law to reveal to us. We're not limited from doing that. The law should not limit us from doing that good. Sometimes these echo chambers we find ourselves are in the same echo chambers that the Pharisees found themselves in. We seek to only reinforce how things have always been. We find ourselves seeking comfort over everything else. We find ourselves not wanting to challenge what we've always known, how we've always interpreted things. That's what makes the ministry of Jesus so different and why today's scriptures end with the Pharisees plotting against him. The ministry of Jesus should always challenge us. No matter if you've been a Christian for one year or for a hundred years, the ministry of Jesus is a ministry that is constantly challenging us. Right now, as we read the scriptures today, you should find yourself challenged by Jesus. It is one of the things that was so revolutionary about what the scriptures are and who Jesus is. He continues to challenge us through thousands of years of history. Is that 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 ministry of Jesus that comes to us today is shaking the foundations of the echo chambers throughout history and asking us, just as they used to ask those who had gathered around him during the time that he walked this earth, do you think you really know what the intent of what God is doing in this world? Or are you only listening to those who give you comfort? Are you only listening to your history and your tradition? Are you only listening to your doctrine? Once again, just as Jesus says, I'm not here to throw all of those things out. I'm not here to dismiss and throw out the old law because I do believe the truth of God will always prevail. The sin of man cannot limit what God has intended. But what I am advocating is that the ministry of Jesus should always challenge us and we should always be open to hearing from other viewpoints and every now and then, challenge ourselves about what we truly believe. We should strive to read theologies of other people groups. We should strive to read the writings of those who believe different things than us. We should always strive to find the truth of God in all things, even in this stuff that challenges us. So I offer you a challenge this week. My challenge is to read to you this week is to read something that challenges a view that you hold, to read something from a perspective that is not your own, to seek God's truth in a place where you normally wouldn't seek it. Maybe it's in a, inviting in a tax collector or a sinner. Maybe it's in a new wineskin. Maybe it's relooking at a spiritual discipline and the intent of you doing it. Maybe it's thinking about how many of your how your Sabbath might preventing you from being able to see the goodness that God wants to do through you and the goodness that God has asked you to keep. I challenge you this week to shake your walls, to see the echo chamber you might reside in, and then maybe look out and see how big our God is. Amen.